Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to Peanut Butter Jelly Time. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. We haven't seen Jerry in a while. If you have seen Jerry, please uh, tell her to call home. Uh, and this is Stuff You Should Know. Yeah, Jerry, she sent out an, a uh, smoke signal that said, send a miso. <laughs> she did. She did. And we sent some on donkey back in that general are, direction. Are you uh, peanut butter or jelly in this scenario? Uh, I want to be peanut butter. You always make me be jelly. Well, I think we should level set here at the beginning okay. and talk about if you like peanut butter, right. which is your favorite, and then what you like, how do you utilize it? Okay. My name is Josh C., and I love peanut butter. Okay. Almost only smooth. I will eat chunky if the if civilization has collapsed and that's all I can find. Okay. I eat it any way, shape, or form. Sometimes just peanut butter on a spoon. Sometimes peanut butter on a spoon with a little divot made with my tongue filled with local honey. Okay. Um, if you want to get tubby really fast, let me introduce you to the wonder that is a spoonful of peanut butter scooped in some Cool Whip. Okay. Um, but really, any kind of peanut butter, anytime, I will eat it. And I've noticed that once I reach my 40s, peanut butter sticks around me a lot more than it used to. So I'm having a real struggle with it. Thank you for listening. Uh, and do you want to buzz market your favorite brand? Um, we use this Jif Natural that's like, um, uh, it's like in a brown container. And I like it so much, I've never, I purposely never looked at the label. Because I don't okay. want to know how natural it is, <laughs> um, but my all-time favorite is Reese's peanut butter. Like the oh, like, have you had it? You mean in the jar? Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, it's so good. I think I've had it once. But I was raised on Jif. Now go. Well, I was raised on whatever the gigantic gallon tub is that you used to oh, get in, in the eighties. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't think it was any of those name brands. Um. Now, I, I mean, I love peanut butter. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Sure. Uh, and I uh, will go crunchy or smooth, okay. no matter. I love them both. I also like it with honey. Yes. Um, I like it, and I don't do this much, obviously, because it's just, I'm not 19 years old, but a peanut butter and, and mayonnaise sandwich is one of the best things in the world. You know, I've never had that. Is it? Is it good, really? <laughs> Dude, do you have any QP? Yes. Do peanut butter and QP Sammy. Okay, so half and half or more peanut butter than mayo or what? It's kind of your your jam. I definitely don't go light on the mayo because you got to have that tang. Okay. Uh, peanut butter and marshmallow fluff I used to eat when I was a kid. Sure, yeah, that's good stuff. Fluff or nutter. And um, now I don't eat the sugary hydrogenated types. Um, I either have one of the, the sort of artisan mm -hmm. natural kinds you have to mix up mm -hmm. or... Uh, just the cab farmer's market grinds the peanuts right in front of your face into a tub and hands it to you. <laughs> right in front of your face. And it says, beat it. You can't have any of this. So that's just peanuts, obviously. Um, yeah, and maybe a little great. bit of salt. Do they add any salt or is it really just peanuts? It's just peanuts. Wow. I wonder if they salt the peanuts when they roast them then. Because I've always seen like peanuts with just a little bit of salt. Like you can't have peanut butter any other way. But maybe, maybe they figured out, they've cracked the code. Well, I mean, they may be salted and roasted. I have no idea about the peanut, but it's good. It's all good. But I have to mix, you know, 
I got to put a little bit of honey in there, or maybe a little yeah. bit of agave to give it a little bit of a sweet. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you, I've not had any artisan stuff, and I did a little research and found a couple I want to try. Um, and I didn't know, like, is it is it just straight up adult kind of stuff where you're like, oh, that's really good, but you're wishing that you had like the nasty big three brand instead? Well, I mean, if you don't add any sweetener, mm-hmm. it's it's not nearly as good as, you know. But I think the naturals are all kind of the same as far as sweetness level. Yeah, the best I could discern is that if you're paying for artisan craft peanut butter, and mm-hmm. buddy, you're paying, you're... Like, supposedly they have, you know, depending on the kind of peanuts that are chosen, the variety of peanuts, um, the way that it's roasted, almost like mm-hmm. a coffee or a wine or something like that. There's like a, a sophisticated palate or terroir that <laughs> you really have to pay attention to. That, to me, is kind of like the opposite of what peanut butter is supposed to be. It's supposed to just be like this dumb, messy thing where, you know, your hair is totally normal and you start eating the peanut butter and you suddenly have like a cowlick and you're wearing a striped shirt that shows mm-hmm. your gut kind of thing, you know, like you just regress in age. But I also get... Wanting to enjoy peanut butter in a healthy way because it is surprisingly, from from what I saw, it is healthier than you would suspect if done right. Yes, not <laughs> not a big glob of Peter Pan with <laughs> QP, QP mayonnaise and potato chips smashed in between white bread. Yes, yeah. God, I'm, I'm hungry now. I am too. I had, I already had some peanut butter this morning, so. I'm good to go, but it this thing this is like the yawning episode where I kept yawning during research. This is I just wanted peanut butter the whole time. Well, peanut butter for me has now become my uh, in my uh, since January. You know, I'm trying to lose some weight, so I'm that's become my sweet treat at the end of the night yeah. instead of going and getting ice cream. Oh, good for you! Just like a spoonful of peanut butter and honey, and that'll satiate that desire. I haven't seen you in a while. How's it going? Uh, it's good. I mean, I'm down 20 since January, but what? it's really leveled off the past month. Congratulations, like, dude. That is really impressive. You know, just 40 more to go. Man, no, that's really <laughs> great, man. Just, just, yeah. Yeah, it does plateau, but you, it picks up again. Don't worry. Well, it, plat- it plateaus because of uh, quarantine alcoholism. Oh, well, I was going to ask because I'm finding <laughs> that, that quarantining has made things like, we, you know, we have food and everything, but we're we're eating it less for some reason rather than the opposite, which both you, me, and I were really concerned was going to be the way it went. Um, are you finding it easier to keep up with food or harder? Uh, easier because I'm cooking a lot. Um, cheese mm-hmm. I'm buzz marketing again, but, you know, I'm just having one of those Mike's Mighty Goods for lunch, which is very low on calories. Yeah, it's really good, too. Uh, and I, you know, I'm just tracking the calories and it's, it's alcohol. <laughs> That's the problem right now. I gotcha. Yeah. I've been doing one or two nights a week tops. Um, and then a couple of nights. I've been pretty good now that I think about it. It's good. Yeah. Cause this has been fairly stressful, but I haven't been stress eating too much. So, okay. <laughs> anyway, peanut butter here to me, Chuck, early on, we happen upon the fact of the podcast. If you ask me, this was oh boy. very jarring if you'll forgive the pun, (laughs) that peanut butter outside of the United States in a lot of different countries is looked upon as very weird and gross in much the same way that we Americans tend to think of like Vegemite. People like the British, the Chinese, other countries do not think peanut butter is particularly good. They think it's a little nasty. Um, And that just blew me away to read that. Yeah, I'd want to talk to some people before I'd 
let some internet website tell me that people think peanut butter's gross. Some some website push your <laughs> brain around? Yeah, I'd like to talk to some folks about that. But at the very least, even if they don't think it's gross, it it is a an all-American thing. Like, even countries that do enjoy it, I've read that Australia actually likes it a lot. Um, it's an American concoction, so much so that, like, it might be the most American concoction there is, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point here. You put this stuff together that uh, mac and cheese came from Europe, hot dogs came from Europe, yep. uh, sort of hamburgers, even though I would argue that the hamburger as we know it is is pretty American. Sure. But peanut butter, just us, as far as modern times go. Yeah, I think that the Inca in the 15th century used to grind peanuts into a paste, and then that was it until the 19th century when one of our buddies who's going to make a cameo later um, got his hands on the idea. But yeah, it was an American invention, except it was actually Canadian, as we'll see. But for for the most part, people think of it as all American. Um, And to talk about peanut butter, Chuck, we kind of have to talk about peanuts. There's really no way around it. Believe me, I, I don't want to, but we have to. I think you mean goobers. (laughs) <laughs> is, do, have you ever heard somebody outside of TV call them that? Not really, but I knew it was a thing, but I don't, it's not in the just daily nomenclature of my crowd. But it is, it's supposedly like a Southern and I guess an antiquated Southern word for peanut, a goober or a goober pea. Yeah, I've I've heard goober and that old song about the Raisinets, goober, well, goobers mm-hmm. is also a candy, right? Yeah, and there's Smucker's goobers, which is peanut butter and jelly mixed together in a jar. Mm. It's actually good. Is it? Yeah, even as a kid, I was like, this is going to be gross. And then I tried it, I was like, not bad, not bad, Did, Smucker's. See, I'm pretty uh, discerning with my jams and jellies, so that's for another day, though. You would not like this. I probably would. You wouldn't like Smuckers. <laughs> and if you're at all discerning, you would not like it. All right. So peanuts is a, uh, it's a legume. Yeah. It's also called a ground nut or an earth nut. And just like a, a lentil or a pea, it is a little legume. It's and not a nut. No, I'm a big fan of peanuts, though. I like to eat them pretty much any way you can slice it from boiled to uh, straight up raw out of the shell. Um, like them honey roasted, mm-hmm. ro- salted and roasted. Sure. And certainly in peanut butter. So uh, Momo and I go and visit squirrels whenever we can, when we go on walks, and we always take peanuts. And I read you're supposed to take roasted, unsalted peanuts. So we get like big bags of those. And if there's no squirrels out, I get to eat all the peanuts. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Yeah, Mo will give me a look like, those are not for you, but they usually end up in my tummy anyway. You ever seen a squirrel stick one of those in his mouth sideways? Yep. I have. Darn cute. (laughs) Yeah. We'll like, I'll shell them and then throw like the actual peanut and the squirrel somehow will know that there's supposed to be another one coming because they'll very, they'll frequently put one in his cheek and then like be like, okay, toss me the other one. Then I'll take that and run off and like eat it with his two little hands. It's really adorable. Right. Or they might stick around to see if it's one of the rare three bangers. Right. Which is just, that's a, a good squirrel day right there. All right, so these things are legumes, and we think they originated in South America. Uh, you mentioned Peru, even though uh, we cannot prove that through the fossil record. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have found evidence in the archeo- uh, archaeological um, culture from Peru from about 7,600 years ago. And it was sort of one of these things where they found 
Um, the fact that they were farming this stuff. And then when you see it in like artwork and pottery and stuff like that, then, you know, it's sort of a thing. Yeah, right. The peanut has arrived when it shows up on pottery, you know? For real. They've also found them, uh, I guess, entombed with mummies from the Inca and the Aztecs, um, which makes sense because when the, the conquistadors arrived, the Spanish and the Portuguese, to South America and Central America, they found peanuts being grown as far north as Mexico. But I think the first place they encountered them was actually in the Caribbean, um, and they took them back with with them. They took them to Spain, and Spain passed them along to the rest of Europe and the Philippines and China. Um, the Portuguese took it back to uh, again to Europe, but also to India and Africa. And peanuts started to be farmed all over the world. Like the world loves peanuts. It's just not necessarily peanut butter that they're crazy about. And then in a really kind of weird, surprising twist, the peanuts were re-exported back to the Americas from Africa as part of the West African slave trade. And actually that word goober, that Southern word goober, they think comes from a Congolese word uh, or Congo with a K word in gooba. Yeah. Pretty surprising. Sure. Goober and gooba, close enough. Yeah, but to think think like the peanut, you think of the peanut as as, uh, just American as it comes and then even as Georgia as it comes. But the idea that it wouldn't have been here had it not been for the importation of African slaves that reintroduced the peanut to the Americas, that's a pretty circuitous and weird route for it to take. Yeah, and Africa still grows about 25% of the peanuts in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're just below that at about 21% here in the States. And uh, it took all the way to 1842 that we started growing them commercially in the U.S. Uh, And Virginia is where it first started for oil and food and uh, to substitute out for cocoa. And it wasn't – it just wasn't like a – it was kind of like for people that didn't have the means to buy something better or maybe feed it to your animals or something like that. Yeah, it was good for livestock and the poverty stricken basically was who were expected to eat peanuts at the time. That's right. It's just like like lobster. Have you ever read Consider the Lobster? That um, Oh, man. I, I, I want to say David Lee Roth so bad, but I know that's not his name at all. Who wrote Consider know. the Lobster? I've never heard of that, but who, I, who is uh, end of I know tour. about the lobster. Who was End of Tour about that movie? Oh, David of, Foster Wallace. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, he wrote this really great magazine article once called Consider the, Lo- Consider the Lobster. It's good. But in it, he, he explains that it used to be considered a food fit only for the poor, basically. Yeah. And I guess peanuts were considered the same. That's right. Uh, you know, there were uh, sea spiders. Yeah, or the cockroaches of the sea. Disgusting. It is kind of gross when you think of it like that. And apparently there was a law that said that um, uh, you could only feed so much lobster to patients in mental asylums at the time or else it became abusive. Oh, wow. Yeah. They didn't know. Did they try them on a hot dog bun with mayonnaise? (laughs) So one of the reasons why the peanut was viewed as such a lowly crop was that it was, again, it was used for oil and... um, which, I mean, this wasn't necessarily just cooking oil. They would use it to lubricate machinery, that kind of stuff. So the idea of eating the same thing that your machinery lube came from was probably not super appetizing. But it was also like you would get just basically trash when you got a bag of peanuts because there was no easy way to harvest it, stem them, clean them, and prepare them for basically general consumption. 
So, again, you could just dump it into a trough and feed it to your livestock, or you could spend a lot of time trying to separate it, or you could just be like, I'm not, I'm not messing with this. And for a long time, they didn't mess with it, actually. Yeah, when the Civil War happened, uh, the Union soldiers got their hands on some of our southern peanuts, and they said these are delicious. And both armies ate a lot of peanuts. And then when the circus rolled around uh, with P.T. Barnum, Hugh Jackman, uh, they started selling peanuts there, hot roasted peanuts. And especially in the cheap seats, uh, they become uh, known as the pe- peanut gallery. And that's where that phrase came came from, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, because apparently if they didn't like what they saw, they would toss their peanuts their, that they were eating at the stage. So that's where peanut gallery came from. Yeah. And then you've got them on the street corners. You've got them at baseball games. Mm-hmm. Peanuts are starting to get a little traction as a snack. Mm-hmm. But they were still not uh, – it was still hard to get like a really good – quality peanuts because, like you said, the way they were being uh, harvested at the time by hand, it was just tough to do. Mm -hmm. And then, so two African-Americans around the the turn of the last century um, stepped up and basically said, we're going to make the peanut what it is today. So one, obviously, was George Washington Carver, who's known as basically the father of the peanut, um, who actually, contrary to popular belief, did not invent peanut butter, but he did come up with more than 300 different ways to use the peanut. And I never realized, like, why he was so bonkers for peanuts. But one of the reasons he was trying to make the peanut or establish it as a prominent crop was because the South had depleted its soil so badly from growing cotton for so long. And then, you know, at the worst of this, um, there was a boll weevil outbreak that just ruined the rest of the cotton crop. So the South really needed something to replace cotton. And George Washington Carver helped introduce and popularize peanuts and say, not only can you eat these things, look at all this other stuff you can make out of them. That's right. Uh, And there was another guy around the same time named Ben Hicks, uh, Mr. Benjamin Hicks. He was from Virginia, and which we already talked about being a big peanut state. Mm -hmm. And he invented a gas-powered machine for cleaning and stemming these things. He got it patented, uh, like a lot of. Well, it still goes on, I guess, with with the little guy and their patents. Um, Big farm came around, and a farm equipment company uh, challenged him. He actually had to go to court, but won the case in 1901. And this picker was a big, big deal in modernizing peanut farming. And all of a sudden, you could get really good peanuts a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Doesn't take as many hands or or. Uh, man hours or person hours and the demand for peanuts for oil for eating them and peanut butter and candy all just kind of went through the roof at that point yeah yeah because you could you could get your hands on good peanuts they were widely available and they were just delicious everyone saw finally how great peanuts are but not peanut butter yet and i propose charles that we take a break and then come back and really dig into the peanut butter let's do it okay Okay, so like I said, the Inca probably had us beat as far as the invention of peanut butter went. Um, But it it was actually a Canadian who they think 
was probably the actual inventor of modern peanut butter, a guy who I had never heard of before. His name was Marcellus Gilmore Edson Wallace. I'm kidding about the last part. It was just I knew that was coming. Marcellus Gilmore Edson. You just can't say the name Marcellus and not follow it up with Wallace somewhere, you know? It, it really has become like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. So uh, he patented a, a paste made of peanuts in 1884, mm-hmm. which was described by him in his patent as uh, at room temperature having a consistency like that of butter, lard, or ointment. <laughs> Which, Eat it. Try this. It's, it sounds gross, but when you think about peanut butter, that's kind of about right. Yeah. He added sugar uh, to stabilize it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of like the first modern peanut butter that we think of as peanut butter. It sold for about six cents a pound, mm-hmm. which is a pretty good price. Yeah. And if you, from what I can tell just reading about it, if you tried it today, you'd be like, yeah, it's peanut butter. Whereas if you tried some of the other stuff, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's that artisan peanut butter. It's punishing. Yeah. And the other stuff was first developed. So it's interesting to me that there's in the the first try right out of the gate, the guy who invents peanut butter basically invents the modern version of it. And then it takes a big step backwards or sideways, I guess you can say, depending on your viewpoint, when our buddy Dr. John Harvey Kellogg comes along. And if you'll remember from the live show we did on the Kellogg brothers, he invented nut butters, and in particular, a peanut butter. He's considered one of the um, main inventors of peanut butter. Well, yeah, it was it was right up his alley because um, <laughs> I think that might be my favorite live show we've done, actually. Oh, yeah? I think so. PR was my favorite. PR? I knew you were going to say that. You did. Yeah, that was a good one. You did. I think those are my top two. What about Pintos, man? What about D.B. Cooper? Those might be the first four that I would name. <laughs> What else have we done? Malls, bars. We did the secret one that is still supposedly uh, on tour, but on hiatus right now. Um, I think that's it. I think that's all. Well, I'm going to go with uh, John Harvey Kellogg because he, uh, if you listen to that one, he was very big on um, chewing food until Mm -hmm. it was the consistency of peanut butter, basically. Right. And so peanut butter comes along and he's like, well, this is perfect because you don't have to chew it like that. It's already like that. It'll just glide right through your system and come out as delicious peanut butter poop. Yeah. And it won't poison your entire body and you won't have to spend any time in the electric light bath. That's right. Or the kneading machine. (laughs) So Dr. Kellogg creates basically what we would recognize today as the, um, the artisan version of peanut butter. It's just ground up peanuts that form a paste. And apparently that's just a natural thing that happens. Like if you put roasted peanuts in a food processor, it's going to turn like gritty and everything. But if you just keep going, it eventually reaches this point, this threshold where that grit turns into this oily paste like peanut butter, like a um, an ointment, like Marcellus Wallace would call it. And, um, that's basically what John Harvey Kellogg did and served at, at Battle Creek. But most of the people who would have been exposed to peanut butter would not have tried John Kellogg's because, you know, that sanitarium was really expensive. And it was for the wealthy. It was for celebrities. So most people experience peanut butter at one of two places. And Chuck, I really found out in researching this that the history of peanut butter is super murky. It's like a spoonful of peanut butter stirred up in a glass of water kind of murky, right? 
gross. Where <laughs> it is kind of gross. Where it's just not entirely clear who did what when, whose um, contribution has been disproportionately mythologized. But from what I can tell, John Harvey Kellogg is definitely one of the fathers of peanut butter. Um, Mr. Marcellus was one as well. And then it, it gets a little murkier after that. So much so that people say, well, peanut butter made its debut at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. And then other people are like, no, no, that's way wrong. It made its debut at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. And I can find good, credible sources that say either one. So I have no idea where it made its debut. I believe it was sold for sure at the St. Louis World Fair in 1904. And that a guy named um, C.H. Summers sold like $20,000 worth of peanut butter as snack items there. But that the people who ate it there had probably already been exposed to peanut butter and liked it. It might not have been something that was part of like their everyday thing. They weren't standing in their pantry eating it off of a spoon, but they had probably had it before. And this was like a real treat for them to, to experience it. It wasn't like debuted in 1904 from what I can tell. Right. Well, regardless of who introduced it initially by 1907, uh, thanks to companies like Heinz and Beechnut, they were selling 34 million pounds of peanut butter <laughs> Uh, up from just two million in 1899, so right. over an eight-year period, that's that's a pretty big increase. And the soldiers come into play again. It wasn't just the Civil War and uh, World Wars One and Two. Um, and I've had peanut butter uh, K rations before. Really? Uh huh. It's uh, my dad used to get that stuff a lot when I was a kid for camping and stuff mm-hmm. at the Army Navy store. So uh, it became a big part of your your army rations in the armed forces because it had a lot of protein. Right. It was good sustenance. You could make a PB&J, and that was pretty comforting if you were on the front lines or in a trench in World War One. Yeah, supposedly and, they, uh, they popularized the PB&J, the troops did. That's right. And thank them for that. Oh, I will. I'll salute the troops for that one. But it was pretty regional at the time uh, in the early 20th century. Uh, it didn't travel that great. Um, they finally led, you know, I mentioned hi, uh, hydrogenized earlier. It was this hydrogenation, is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that really led to the big three coming about uh, with the industrialization of peanut butter production and three gentlemen named Peter Pan, Skippy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Jif, which uh, I was curious about Jif, where that came from. And all I found was they said it's easy to spell, easy to say, and easy to remember. It's true. All three of those. Check, and check, had, and had check. had no meaning beyond that, basically. Really? I would have guessed it had something to do with, you know, like doing it in a jiff or a jiffy or something, huh? No, I mean, who knows? I mean, you got to be in the room, I guess, to know where the seed came from. But they just said it was simple and super easy. And uh, that was kind of the end of that story. So, <laughs> the, good night. So, I wanted more. You no, know, I'm with you. I do, too. I'm, I'm kind of mad right now, but we've got, we got to press on um, with hydrogenation, right? Because there's this guy named John Crampner, and he wrote a book called uh, Creamy and Crunchy, all about peanut butter. And he he basically points to that as saying, like, that, that's, that was the turning point for peanut butter, maybe even tied for first with its invention, um, was the introduction of hydrogenation, which takes oils that are liquid at room temperature— and adds hydrogen and a catalyst, usually like powdered nickel, 
And those, those bonds become infused or saturated with hydrogen. And so they stick together a lot more easily. So those liquid oils have a um, more stable, um, solid state at room temperature. So you go from like peanut butter with oil on top to peanut butter that doesn't have oil on top. The oil's mixed into the mixture and it stays that way even on the store shelf, which people love because, I mean, you know from eating artisan peanut butter, it's kind of a pain to stir it up. Little dark. Yeah, I mean that that initial stir is a little dodgy because it's so close to the lid. Yeah, but um, you just have to have the right spoon. Take your time. Okay. Don't be in a rush. Right. Uh, and you know, shelf uh, life stability is super important with peanut butter because only monsters put their peanut butter in the refrigerator. Who does that? Who point them out to me? <laughs> monsters. Who like you've met somebody who's done that before? No, I think that was in a, a Judge John Hodgman listener mail at one point. Oh man. Uh, I don't think it was a major case, but I think it was one of their, uh, one of their listener mail ones. Okay. But totally, totally think it should be on the shelf. That's where it belongs. Right. Um, although I will say if you mix a little PB and J with the natural kind and you put it in the fridge cause you've had your two bites and you made too much the next day, it is interesting. It's more like a, a Reese's cup consistency. It's kind of hard. Huh. Uh, it makes for a nice little snack, but it's certainly not anything that you can spread on bread. Right, right. Well, that's the other thing, too, is if the oils are mixed into the solids, that forms this creamier substance that makes it way easier to spread, which moms love, right? Sure. And then the other thing it does, too, is with all of those hydrogen uh, atoms linked on to the fat chains, the lipids, um, there's not all these unused or open bonds that an oxygen atom can come along and bond to and um, oxidize the peanut butter, which creates peroxide, which gives it a rancid taste. So hydrogenation not only made peanut butter um, less liquidy, more creamy, it also made it last longer, like sitting on the shelf before it was sold and used. It wouldn't turn rancid nearly as fast. So it was a big deal. The problem is, is that took peanut butter, which is actually kind of healthy with a monounsaturated fat, that liquid oil, and turned it into saturated or partially saturated fat, which is really tough on the old ticker. Yeah, that's why I I stay away from that stuff. I mean, it's so good. Um, But yeah, I just, I made the switch many years ago. Good for you, Jack. Yeah, the hydrogenated outsold natural for the first time in 42 and accounts for about 80% of the current market. Uh, Peter Pan, believe it or not, I don't think I've ever had Peter Pan. It's not bad. Unless it was just at a friend's house or something. I don't think we ever had it in our house. Peter Pan makes a natural one too. And I mean, I'm making air quotes um, like Jif does. And it's. I think they all do now. It might even be better than Jif's natural version. I think Emily uh, likes the Smucker's Natural. Uh-huh. Uh but I also got some uh oh, I can't remember the brand. It's one of the one of the other natural brands. They're they're all pretty good, I think. Okay. So 1928 was when Peter Pan uh, rolled out and was the first which I didn't know was the first major brand. It was the biggest seller at the time. Uh, it used that partial hydrogenation process that was patented by a guy named Joseph Rosefield mm-hmm. from Kentucky. And then that's where Jif, or that's where, uh, Skippy came from. Peter Pan's parent company said, I want to cut your licensing fee. He said, I'm done with you, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to make Skippy on my own. Yeah. And by the end of his career, he had 10 patents 
uh, not just for peanut butter, but relating to food. And he was just kind of like uh, Chevy Chase in vacation movies. He was a, a food scientist. Yeah. Well, was it the thing that he uh, learned to coat a flake with that he used on the sled? Oh, I don't know. Some sort of a non-nutritional. Or oh, I can't remember. <laughs> I'll figure it out. No need to email everyone. No need to email. <laughs> no, I want to hear. I want every email for, about I, this. I think it was called a non-nutritional coding, is what he called it. But but yes, he was very much like that. But he was also way 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 better than anything Chevy Chase could ever be because he was a really <laughs> great boss. He um, paid his his workers really well. And in creating the Skippy brand, he broke off from this kind of um, this corporate overlord that he he worked for, was keeping him under his thumb and then trying to um, shortchange him uh, and said, you know what, by creating Skippy, I'm going to not only challenge you, Peter Pan, I'm going to become the best selling uh, peanut butter there is from like 1950 to 1980. Like Skippy was it. And I just missed the Skippy train. So I'm wondering like if I had been you know, born in 1970, if I would have been raised on Skippy, but I came along at the GIF era, really. Yeah, he said, in your face. And they said, I love peanut butter in my face. And he went, oh, I got to think of a new comeback. You know, Chuck, one thing that's always bothered me about Peter Pan is, do you remember that jingle where it's like, eat some peanut butter anytime you can? It's like, oh, that's nice. And then they follow it up with, but only if it's Peter Pan. Like, it's got kind of this, like, if I can't have you, no one can psychotic mentality to it. Yeah, I never really thought, I never heard that song, so I never yeah. really thought about that. You didn't watch the television in the 1990s? I did. I don't remember that one, though. Hmm. But, I mean, I was in the 90s. I was in college, so I probably wasn't. Uh, I, I don't even think we had cable. I didn't watch much TV in college. Gotcha. Uh, so, Skippy is doing great. Peter Pan is just like, well, I guess I'll just have to be second banana. Mm-hmm. And Skippy and Jeff said, how do you like being third banana? Because that's where you're headed. Uh, that same year in 1955, this is when Rosefield sold uh, Skippy to Best Foods. Procter & Gamble bought Big Top Peanut from William T. Young, also of Kentucky. Uh-huh, yeah. And then they became Jeff, uh, and they held that brand until 2001, 2002. Yeah, I did not know that. That's but, right. But wait, 2001, 2002. It's when they sold the Smuckers. Oh, okay. But Jif is still the number one brand today, right? As far as I know. Okay. Yeah, that's that's my understanding too. I thought you were saying like it was the number one brand until then. But yeah, from from I think 1980 to today, it's, it's number one. Yeah, and they got a lot of, uh, <laughs> I, I think they all do, but Jif alone has 15 different kinds of peanut butter. Uh, which is kind of nuts if you look at their list. They've got all kinds of different crazy peanut butters out there now. Well, nuts is just one variety. <laughs> well, they all have peanuts in them, but yeah. <laughs> well, they have they have a good almond butter too. Yeah, I can I can get down with some almond butter. You know what, buddy? I'm going to buy you some. When we see <laughs> each other again, I'm going to be brandishing a jar of Jif almond butter for you. You know what's not good? What? Is, uh, you know, you can't take peanut butter sandwiches into classrooms anymore Mm -hmm. or at least at you know at at my kids preschool and um of course you can't take anything in there anymore because it's closed but uh you have to make um you have to make it with uh what a cheese i used to chew these things all the time what do baseball players chew sunflower seeds uh chickpeas 
sunflower butter. That's good, too. I've had that. It's not bad. Oh, I do not care for it. Oh, you don't like it, huh? I, I think no. it's all right. I guess I'm, wow, I'm, I really like basically any kind of butters, including just butter butter. Well, yeah, butter's great, but I, I just cannot get down with the sunflower huh. butter. Is it sunflower? Yeah, sunflower. Yeah, no, it, to- it totally is. And it's definitely, there's a taste of sunflower to it. Like you could have no idea what you were eating and somebody gives it to you and you would be like, that's sunflower butter, isn't it? I love sunflower seeds, though. That huh. was a, a big thing in college for a little while. We would s- sit around and, you know, just put a mouthful of sunflower seeds on our mouth. Oh, yeah, I remember the sunflower trend quite well. Remember that? that and you UGA. would crack, yeah, you would crack them open with your teeth. Yeah. And you would spit out this, the shell and then uh, swallow the seed, chew on the seed and swallow it. So I would eat the whole thing. You No, you didn't eat the shell. Yeah, this is, I would eat the whole thing and then I would smoke a whole cigar and inhale it. You were a very bad squirrel. And yeah. then you would drown, drown your wa- lawn in water. <laughs> yeah. And you would sit back and say, I'm doing life just right. <laughs> yeah, I got it all figured out. Would you really eat the shells? Uh-huh. Still do to this day. Really? Yeah, and it's kind of dangerous because every once in a while, there's like Sharp. one one part to it that's a just a spear, yeah. and it can go right into your gums if you're not Gosh. careful. So, I'm pretty good at it, but every once in a while, I'll be like, um, I think I'm bleeding. Well, here's how I eat peanuts when I go to the ball game. Mm-hmm. I stick the whole peanut in my mouth. <laughs> really? Uh-huh, like a squirrel. Okay. And I kind of suck on it for a second and get that salty goodness, uh-huh. and then I, I crack it open with my teeth. <laughs> right. And I pull it out of my mouth and then dump the peanuts in and throw away the shells. And then between every bite, you have to coat your lips with lip balm because it's so <laughs> dried and cracked by the salt. Maybe. It is pretty salty. But uh, the only time I eat peanuts in the shell like that is at a baseball game. So now I do something similar, but it's with peanut M&Ms. I will like crack the peanut M&M in half and expose the peanut. And with your eat, teeth? Yes. And then eat that the the um, freed chocolate shell side and then uh, eat the other chocolate shell side from around the peanut and then I eat the peanut by itself. Are you kidding or are you serious? I'm dead serious. I can't remember <laughs> the last time I ate a peanut M&M without doing that with every single one. All right, here's what I'll do sometimes with peanut M&M's. <laughs> okay. We should just have a side gig where we just talk about our stupid quirks. We do. It's part of the podcast. Uh, I put, a, and sometimes I'll just um, mow on them like there's no tomorrow, but sometimes I will, and this helps me eat fewer of them because I will pop one in or two in my mouth uh-huh. and I'll just let them sit there and marinate in my saliva Oh yeah, yeah. and swirl them around. And then that candy coating kind of melts away a little bit mm-hmm. and makes it like a really soft little crunch. Yep. I know. I know what you mean. You know that move? Yep. It's really good. I do that too, but usually I'm a little less patient than that. It's every once in a while, maybe when I'm like. You know, I have a whole Tupperware bowl full of peanut M&Ms. I might go crazy like that. All right. So let's, should we take a break or should we wait a second? Yeah, let's do that. Let's take a break. So where we left off was Jif was killing it. You and I have very weird eating habits. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jif starts killing it. They start putting sugar and molasses in there. Everyone else followed suit. 
And finally, in the 1960s, the FDA stood up and said, hold on a minute, guys. This stuff you're calling peanut butter is junk food now. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's one leading brand. I'm not going to name names. I think it was Jif. That was only 75% actual peanuts. (laughs) He's like, so you got to start putting 95% peanuts in the whole thing. The peanut butter lobby said, whoa, 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 whoa. How about 87%? And they said, we're the FDA. We meet people in the middle. Let's settle on 90% peanuts and peanut butter. And since 1971, that's been the standard. Yeah, I think like um, this went on for a dozen years. There's a really interesting article on Today I Found Out called The Momentous Peanut Butter Hearings. It's definitely worth reading. But it just was nuts, how, literally nuts, how long this went on for. And then finally, it's just kind of heartening that the FDA was like, no, 90%. That's as low as we're going. Make sure that your peanut butter has 90% peanuts. Good day to you, sir. And that was that, finally. And it became enforced in 1972. Um, And still today, there is a federal legal definition for what constitutes peanut butter. And one of the first things is it has to have 90% peanuts in it. That's right, because that is still the standard. Uh, If it is smooth, it has to be very fine with an even texture Mm -hmm. and no hint of grainy peanuts at all. No. If it's medium, you can have a little grain to it, uh, but nothing larger than one sixteenth of an inch in dimension. <laughs> and then all bets are off if you're uh, crunchy. I don't, I don't know who says chunky, but it's definitely crunchy. In chunky, my house. yeah, that's like a type of Campbell's soup. Not so crunchy can be larger than one sixteenth, and I, I guess I mean they're all about the same size. I'd be curious to see if there are any kind of half size peanuts if it gets that chunky. Oh, yeah. Like larger than a sixteenth of an inch? Yeah, like a half of a peanut. Yeah, people would be like, it's too chunky. I can't take it. Maybe. I mean, that's that's like candy bar level. It is. It is. So, Chuck, what you've just said is the federal government's definition <laughs> of the different varieties of peanut butter as far as they're concerned. And I don't know if you said it or not, but that guy, Joseph Rosefield, who, who was the founder of Skippy, he actually created chunky, sorry, um, crunchy peanut butter. We both said crunchy, and now we're both saying chunky. I know. It's kind of stuck in my head. But he's the guy who, if you like chunky peanut butter, first of all, shame on you. But secondly, thank Joseph Rosefield for that because he came up with it, I think, in the 50s. Yeah, like I said, I like it all. Uh, there is not a kind of peanut butter that uh, that I won't eat. I think it's all really good. So then I think also the um, the the this kind of demonstrates just how seriously Americans take peanut butter. The USDA goes on to say there are other qualities that make a peanut butter either grade A, grade B, or substandard peanut butter. And it's my favorite. It's things like um, color. The color has to match certain color samples that you can only obtain from a company called Agtron Inc. of Sparks, Nevada. This is in the 1972 law that you have to write to Agtron and say, can you please send me the peanut butter colored standards because I need to make sure that my peanut butter matches the USDA's standards for color of and they peanut say, butter. they're online. Get with it. <laughs> right. Why are you writing me a letter? <laughs> right. That's that's a really good point. And you, you email or you'd write back like, I don't know, but can you please send me the website URL? And then they yeah. would. But when you get this color standard, you can't just look at it wherever. You have to you have to look at it 
with a, at a light with a color temperature of about 7,500 Kelvin, plus or minus 250 Kelvin, or something equal to a moderately partly cloudy day. That's, that's the government's standard for judging the color of peanut butter. All I can think of now is somebody writing a handwritten letter to someone asking for a URL. (laughs) Someone with a ballpoint pen spelling out HTTPS Mm -hmm. colon slash slash. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I looked up Agtron Inc. They're still around and they are on point, man. They've been in business for, I think, about a century. But they are all about like food analysis. If you're a um, coffee roaster or a barista or something, you can take their online class. I think it's online. It's like a a day-long class that like really teaches you all like the science behind the coffee you're selling and roasting and grinding. It's a really interesting company, it looks like. But that's if you start making peanut butter, you need to you need to write a letter to Agtron Inc. asking for their URL. And they will send you a laminated sheet and a manila envelope. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So if you're talking peanut butter in the United States. Uh, about half of the edible use of peanuts is from peanut butter. Um, Obviously, peanut butter is in a ton of – it's one of my favorite parts of candy bars and stuff like that. totally. I'm a a sucker for any peanut butter ice creams, peanut butter candy bars. It's just I can't get enough of that combination. I'm totally with you, buddy. Which, by the way, Joseph Rosefield was – the Skippy guy was the guy who came up with that peanut butter and chocolate combo Mm -hmm. before Reese's did. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but the National Peanut Board estimates that it takes about 540 peanuts to make up one of those 12-ounce jars, which is a lot of peanuts. That, that kind of surprised me. It was more than I thought. Yeah, sit there and shell peanuts until you reach 540 individual peanuts, and you will have a sudden appreciation for your peanut yeah. butter. You know what I mean? For sure. But, of course, machines do that. But, yeah. Well, if it's artisan, no. Somebody no. wearing, like, a <laughs> calico sarong is doing it with by hand <laughs> in Vermont. Uh, that's what I, love I think it. Vermont people are like. Yeah? I think that's my conception. Prove me wrong, Vermont. <laughs> so in 2009, uh, we're talking about health aspects. There, there's a couple of parts to the health of it, of whether or not it's just good for you, which we'll get to. But also there have been a couple of uh, peanut butter incidents throughout the years, mm-hmm. uh, in recent years, that has scared people off from peanut butter a little bit. Yeah. Uh, in 2009 was the second one. Uh, there were 500 people who got sick and eight people uh, died from eating peanut butter from a plant in Blakely, Georgia, that was uh, pretty gross and not maintained well. I remember that, don't you? I remember both of them. The other one was in 2007, and that was salmonella in Peter Pan and Great Value, both owned by ConAgra, and that got about... 600 and change sick, but nobody died. Luckily. But I remember both of those. It was a big deal because peanut butter is so ubiquitous. So there's also, I didn't realize this until I started researching it. There's something called um, aflatoxins. Have you heard of them? I think I did back when all this stuff happened, or maybe not, but so, I, I have heard of it. So there's there's a mold called aspergillus that grows on peanuts because peanuts are grown underground, right? Um, And the aspergillus can produce a toxin called aflatoxins. And apparently humans are um, pretty much immune to its initial effects or its short-term effects. But we have no idea what happens if you eat 
aflatoxins, you know, over the course of a lifetime, you know, what, what happens? And apparently there's studies of humans that found that it's been linked to certain types of cancer, um, potentially uh, birth defects, um, cognitive disabilities, all sorts of horrible stuff. And peanut butter producers say, well, we get at least 89% of the aflatoxins out just by processing peanuts. And you say, well, what about the other 11%? And they're like, have some Peter Pan and forget your troubles. That's right. <laughs> so so there is like a, a real risk of something bad happening to you, whether it's a poisoning or not. But a lot of people are like, even if it's pure peanut butter, it's it's still it's still not healthy for you. Yeah, I mean, the the major brands that are uh, sugary and hydrogenated certainly aren't good for you. Mm-hmm. If you're going to the farmer's market and and getting those peanuts ground right in front of your face, it's not it's not terrible. You know, it's got a lot of nutrition. It's got a lot of antioxidants. Uh, it's got, uh, we're talking, this is 100 grams of this stuff. You've got 45% RDA of vitamin E, 67% yeah. of vitamin B3, 16, uh, 7%. Uh, I'm sorry, 73% of manganese and 39% of magnesium. Yeah. So it's got a lot of good stuff in there. It's got a lot of calories too. That's about 600 calories if you're eating 100 grams worth. But if it's, you know, I mean, that's a 100 grams is a lot. No, it is a a tremendous amount. Um, The other thing is too, is if you're eating that artisan peanut butter, that craft peanut butter, the non- hydrogenated, I guess I should say, peanut butter, the the oils and the fats in it are actually good for you. The monounsaturated fat is the kind that's good for your heart. Um, it's that saturated stuff that becomes shelf-stable. That's the stuff that can build up as plaque in your arterial walls and cause you know heart attacks and strokes and that kind of thing. But the natural peanut butter actually does the opposite. It helps your cholesterol levels. That's right. It's Which is ba- great. It's basically just really calorie dense. Like if you're trying to lose weight, it's a good idea to shy away from peanut butter. But if you're eating natural peanut butter, it's not like an, a non-nutritious food. It's actually pretty nutritious. It's just calorie dense. Right. And if you're uh, trying to lose weight and you opt for a spoonful of peanut butter and honey rather than a pint of Ben and Jerry's, mm-hmm. then you're definitely doing the right thing. For sure, man. For sure. Um, one thing, though, that has you know, strikes fear in a lot of people, like you were saying in your daughter's preschool, you can't even bring a peanut butter sandwich in there anymore. Um, Is this the rise of the the peanut allergy? Like there's a survey that was conducted in the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. And I think the most recent one was in 2008. And they found that between 1997 and 2008, in this national survey of 5,300 homes, that the... um, the self-reported peanut allergies went from 0.4% of respondents to 1.4% of respondents, which it's 1.4% doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a huge increase between um, uh, like 11 years, I guess. But the thing is, is if you look at other studies, they found that, yes, self-reported rates are on the rise, but doctor-diagnosed rates have held steady. So there seems to be an increase in perception that people have peanut allergies that's not necessarily an increase in actual peanut allergies, which is really strange and bizarre to think of if that's correct. Yeah, and I have seen the trend of uh, oral immunotherapy, like um, feeding your 
very small child uh, and your baby peanuts mm-hmm. to a little bit at a time to ensure or hopefully ensure that they won't be uh, stricken with the worst food allergy of all. <laughs> it's true. The peanut allergy. And uh, they, there was a study in Israel that had guidelines for early infant feeding. And they said around four to six months of age. Yeah. Just shove a bunch of peanuts in their mouth and see what happens. <laughs> and make them chew. And then hit them with the lip balm. Yeah, hit them with that. <laughs> hit them with the <laughs> lip balm. Um, so one last thing, Chuck, and I, I couldn't find a place to put it, but it has to be said. There is a phobia called um, arachabutyrophobia. Arachabutyrophobia. Yeah, I think I nailed it that last time. Okay. And it is... Is that for me? Is that my cue? <laughs> yes. It's hard to tell because you're not kicking me under the table. It, it, I'm not like <laughs> doing that series of blinks. Uh, that is the fear of peanut butter getting stuck on the roof of your mouth. That is a true thing. Which is uh, shouldn't be a fear because all you got to do is just keep working the tongue and that peanut butter is going to dislodge and go right down your throat. That's right. Just like John Harvey Kellogg foresaw. Get a little whole milk and you're all set. Nice, man. Or some Cool Whip. Don't forget the Cool Whip. I got to try that. That's I don't know if you should try that. Like I cool think whip. I gained 10 pounds in a month just after I discovered that. It's it's not good for you, man. Yeah, I can't we cool whip doesn't last long in our house. We can't keep it here. It's just yeah, like it's really hard not to just sort of oh, I'll just have a little spoonful every now and then. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and then the where did it go? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like your hair is stuck to your forehead cuz you've put your whole face in the tub. So good. And it's good frozen too. I don't know if you ever tried that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've tried it both ways. But if you if you do want to try it, it's about it's about half and half peanut butter Cool Whip per spoonful. Right. I'll, I'll give it a shot if I'm ever allowed to go to the grocery store again. Yeah, right. Um, okay, well, I think that's it then for peanut butter, unless you have anything else. You got nothing else. Okay, well, since we said we have nothing else, it means it's time for Los Uh I'm going to call this uh, early listener that came back as an adult. Mm-hmm. Love these. Hey, guys, last year, I, well, what I really love is people that never stop listening. <laughs> right. But we'll take this. Sure. Uh, hey, guys, last year, I started getting back into stuff you should know after a long break from the uh, nine to 10 days. What does that mean? And a need for an educational podcast on my long drives to Blacksburg, uh, Virginia, from the <laughs> Tidewater area of Virginia. I think they got hit by the aflatoxin. <laughs> uh, I think he may be. I don't know what he means. Uh, When I first started listening, I was in middle school, and I always loved trivia, and your podcast helped me annoy other students with random facts about Twinkies and fluoride. Once I went through church camp, it was appreciated. Uh, I earned the name Random Fact Kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, You guys helped me encourage my natural instincts in the world that got me through electrical engineering and also helped me earn free beer at Trivia Nights because of my tendency to remember obscure knowledge. I even made a friend... Through the podcast, uh, awesome. lis- uh, listener Lucas. I-, I take it that's just Lucas, the listener's <laughs> not his first name. I hope so. Uh, he was listening to your podcast while driving his bus, and I recognized the familiar voices. So I just wanted to say thanks, guys. And that is from uh, listener Daniel. So maybe that's how they met. They had the same first name. <laughs> right. They're like, I-, I never thought I would have a brother, but now I do. Daniel I and Lucas a, together at listener. Uh, you got anything else now? I got nothing at all. Well, if you want to be like listener Daniel and let us know how long you've been listening, um, we want to hear from you. Um, you can get in touch with us just through a simple email, simple gesture, 
the gesture of wrapping it up, the gesture of spanking it on the bottom, the gesture of early feeding it peanuts, and sending it off to Stuff Podcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.